Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Penn State football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Uh, GameTime now has plenty of tickets available for the last Penn State games of the season. Still two home games left against Indiana and after the after Thanksgiving against Rutgers. Uh, the post-Thanksgiving game always seems to be late, more lightly attended with students going away, but plenty of affordable tickets available. Penn State technically still playing for the Big Ten title, depending on what happens against Ohio State, but bigger than expected game against Indiana. And that last game against Rutgers, tickets available on game time. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Matt Brown, editor for the Athletic College Football Coverage, joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Back from Minneapolis, back from some travel woes. Audrey, how was how was the trip? Welcome back. Matt, 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 happy Monday. No shortage of topics to That's get true. to today. I'm back. Um, Penn State went 0-1 last week for the first time this season, and Wow, Matt. Uh, they laid an egg. Yes, Minnesota was a really good team. When people asked me, oh, you know, what needs to happen for, for Minnesota to win this game? I always kept going back to, well, Penn State's going to have to play pretty poorly, turn the ball over a lot. Yep. <laughs> and boy, did they follow through That's on that. Yeah, wow. This is a new territory for Gerald State. We've been doing this podcast since the end of August. And while we've had games to talk about plenty of miscues and such we saw that you know in the pit game the first half of the buffalo game things have gone wrong this year but not to the point where they've lost a game and that is now not true anymore minnesota 31 penn state 26 it was penn state's or minnesota's first win over a top 10 team at home since 1977 and the first win over a top five team since well 1999 at penn state so Penn State has seen this before. It's been a long time, though. Different coaching staff, different players. Uh, we were in elementary school, but things have changed. But same kind of result where Minnesota plays spoiler for a, a potentially really memorable Penn State season, but still a potentially memorable season here. Penn State's still 8-1, still in the top 10. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, Minnesota, I think, was better than everybody expected. You know, they were undefeated, but had not really been tested by a great team. And they came out firing and Penn State did not. So, you know, in the aftermath, you, you kind of wrote about it on The Athletic about all the mistakes uh, after the game. And then uh, you kind of summed up more of those. And upon further review Monday morning, biggest takeaway, what do you think? There were a lot. Yeah. I, I One, the atmosphere there was great. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stadium. The crowd was juiced, as you would expect, uh, for the 11 a.m. local start time out there. Really, really good atmosphere. I don't, I didn't get the sense at all that Penn State wasn't ready for this game in terms of they weren't up forward. And Sean Clifford said as much afterward. But Matt, my takeaway is the defense. How in the world could they look that bad? Um, I mean, credit to Tanner Morgan, heck of a game. Pinpoint precision, 
quick release. Rashad Bateman just torched this secondary. And you know, Matt, for as good as this defense has been and had been those eight games, there were a couple instances early on you say, okay, you know, against Pitt where the secondary gets a little shaken up. Um, Then you look a little bit later on in the season, you see it happen again. But how you let a receiver break that many tackles, one, is should not be happening week nine. And two, on top of that, the adjustments, yes, the second half was much better for the Penn State offense. But the defense, just where were your playmakers? I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, freshman Keaton Ellis forced a fumble. But where were your big-time playmakers on this defense? Because... They weren't making the plays, Matt. Yeah, they you know, not. I think I think in the second half we saw a little bit more. You know, par- I think Michael Parsons had made some big plays in the second half, but mm-hmm. he was also literally where was he is a question because he was suspended for the first drive of the game. <laughs> I, who knows what he did for behavior that behavior modification? Yes, unquote, apparently. Behavior modification, and you know, as you wrote, who knows? Well, they needed some defense. I mean, based on the way the game went, they yeah. probably Minnesota probably scores anyway if Parsons is out there, but who knows? Uh, it was just for me. Yeah, and you hit on it there too. You know, we've seen signs of it. You know, Kenny Pickett kind of picked apart the, the Penn State secondary and Michigan in the second half. But this is the first game where those signs by the opponents actually turned into points for Penn State to lose. You know, you, the Pitt game, Pitt still didn't really score much. And the Michigan game, it was too little too late, although they almost tied the game late. Uh, but here it was, this is the first 200-yard receiver Penn State has given up since the uh, – infamous game that nobody re- wants to remember which is the ticket city bowl after the 2011 season when Houston case keenum just destroyed penn state secondary so this is the That's first right, 200 yard receiver one. since then and it wasn't just a 200 yard receiver because tyler johnson had seven catches for 104 yards tanner morgan went 18 of 20 for 339 yards three touchdowns he's been an underrated quarterback all year efficient but he didn't play a defense like this and turns out penn state's defense was like everybody else against him and that wasn't expected. Turns out Penn State didn't play receivers like this. I mean, the thing that really surprised me, Matt, Minnesota turned 12 of their 60 plays, a whopping 20% into explosive gains. So we're talking rushes of 12-plus yards, but notably passes of 15-plus yards. <clears throat> the Golden Gophers turned in 10 receptions of 15-plus yards. That is just unheard of for this Penn State defense. And you look at it, Penn State's goal is always 10% or less as a defense on that. Well, they gave up 20%, and that was by far, of course, the the most explosive outing that this defense had been torched for all year. Uh, The second closest was Michigan, and that was at (sighs) 14.63%. So really not even in the same stratosphere. For me, it was, I mean, it was a combination of things. The the pass rush, you know, I think a couple times early in the year, it's like, oh, the pass rush didn't really get home as much, and that happened against Pitt, and it's... Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. I, I do. The RPOs, the RPOs yes, made yes. it difficult for them. The fact that, okay, they're getting the ball out quickly. Yep. Your rush can't get, can't get after him. I understand that, but Matt, that doesn't excuse the tackling. I mean, you look at the second touchdown and I cut it up in a gift for upon further review. That's up this morning on the athletic. And I mean, you could credit more than half the defense with a yep. missed tackle on one play. I mean, it was just, it was one of those games where, and I kind of felt that, wrongly felt that Michigan State would be that lay the egg game. Well, this was the lay the egg game. I mean, this defense, Matt, never in my wildest dreams did I think 
they would just be schooled like they were. And, you know, we've seen him in the past make the adjustments and then come out and really, you know, button down and, and, and get all these things straightened up. But they weren't able to do that. And I understand everything is still in play for them if they go into Columbus, upset Ohio State. But the way this defense looked, Matt, no. I got a hard, really, really hard time. I understand fans want to be optimistic. They should be. Eight and one is still great. Ten and two would still be Penn great. State would be here. Ten and two would still be a wonderful season. But you just got exploited by Minnesota's playmakers. So how do you make those adjustments in two weeks against an Ohio State offense that's even more explosive, again on the road? And that, to me, is where ah, you're going to have to hope the Buckeyes have their lay-an-egg game because that one could could get a little ugly. I mean, what I think applies to both sides of the ball, my biggest kind of overarching takeaway of the way Penn State played is – they were just tentative and slow to react on both sides and everything. Minnesota yeah. came out and was, you thought, okay, Minnesota has not played in a game like this in ages. Are they going to be ready for this moment? Penn State's been through the ringer this year. They, you know, they, they played big games. You know, they, they uh, were faced with adversity against Pitt and won that game. You know, they played in the big whiteout game against Michigan, won that game. They played at Iowa. They, you know, they dealt with their road demons at Michigan State. And Minnesota looked like the, t- the seasoned veteran team in this game. And now, of course, Penn State is still pretty young on offense and all that. But Minnesota came out with a clear plan. They were aggressive, and Penn State was not ready. And the defense was slow to react. We saw it on that you know, early Bateman touchdown where uh, they brought a blitz and Garrett Taylor was not even close Garrett to Taylor's getting like time. Yeah. And you know, we just kind of saw that repeatedly. Tanner Morgan and the Minnesota receivers dictated the flow of this game. Minnesota didn't run the ball well. Uh, you know, they 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 ended yeah. up with 121 rushing yards total, but Roddy Smith averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, so they, they had a couple nice runs, but they didn't run the ball that well. It was the passing game, and Tanner Morgan just repeatedly took advantage, and the receivers took advantage. Sometimes they were running free. Sometimes Morgan threw just pinpoint accurate passes. Sometimes I think he uh, put the just got his team in position and confused the Penn State defense. And I think we saw that tentativeness on offense too, where get the play call in. You know, oh, I, yeah. I realized that the, the offense, oh, what yeah. they do is they look to the sideline. They, 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 they kind of react to how the defense is set up and then make their checks and calls based on that. But it's like, they were going back and forth on things and they, they didn't, they, were, they didn't just, they weren't confident in what they were doing. And I think that kind of spread throughout the defense was not confident in what they were doing. They were a step slow. The offense was not confident in what they were doing. Sean Clifford underthrew passes. Receivers dropped balls. And Ricky Ronnie and the play calling did not, you know, help them, I don't think. You know, they, they did put up yards and plays were there to be made. But when you talk about the red zone play calling and the inability to get play calls Rough. in on time and, and to have all these almost delay of games or – one key delay of game or delay one that game. was a delay of game and ended up being a touchdown. It all kind of added up together and you add the mistakes in and it's kind of amazing. This is why we can get to it. I don't want to put too much on some of the questionable officiating because it all adds up to Penn State only lost by mm-hmm. five. <laughs> like, you had chance. But the thing was, Matt, and I, then James Franklin said afterward, he doesn't want to be one of these blame the officials people. And I outlined yeah. much more of it on a pun for the review. Yes, were some of the calls very close, ticky-tacky? Could the argument be made that K.J. Hamler was interfered with uh, on the second (laughs) Winfield Jr. pick? Sure, but 
if Ricky Slade, who checks in for that play, picks up the blitzer and holds up in protection, Clifford doesn't underthrow the ball, and then you probably don't have a pick. True, so true, true. we can play that game too. If people, and I know fans, I get it, they get mad about these things understandably, but if you want to nitpick and say, oh, the Daniel George penalty, I liked it, I didn't like it, whatever. Jahan Dotson, I thought, honestly, Matt, when he when he caught that ball in the fourth quarter and took off, sure. I thought he was gone. It looked like he was gone. And then he got caught, kind of stumbled a little bit. Um, you know, if you, if you want to play that game, don't let it in the hands yeah. of the officials. I mean, don't leave the doubt there. If you leave the doubt there, then you didn't go out and take care of business. Minnesota That's how I always think of these things. Yeah, I mean, if the calls did not cost this team the game. The performance in the red zone did. The defense getting burnt did. The play calling down there in the red zone, I'm sure, we're going to get to, especially one sequence, uh, wasn't there. But, Matt, the delay a game thing to me is interesting because, one, they deal with crowd noise all the time. I mean, we go there Wednesday and... I walk in front of the speakers to go inside to hear the defense, and I leave there and my ears are ringing. They pride themselves on the crowd noise all week. James Franklin mentioned he wasn't sure why the urgency wasn't there. And you could see him when I went back and rewatched the game Sunday night. Franklin is screaming into his hand after the delay of game penalty. Maybe he should have screamed headset. at the ref to call timeout. Uh, presumably chewing out Ricky Ronnie for taking too... I mean, that would be my interpretation of it, taking too long to get the play call in. But again, take the time out. You should have taken it. It's easy for us to second-guess that now. But, Matt, while we're talking about our favorite topic... Well, not the running backs, not yet, but clock management. What were they saving it for if they weren't going to use it later in the first first half? <laughs> Why in the world do you spike the ball? And I understand readers say, oh, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. No, we were sitting there in the press box saying, wow, that is bad football. Before the sequence even played out, you just took you know a shot to the end zone off the board. This is, again, before we knew how it played out. Sean Clifford was asked about it afterward. He said that, you know, Ricky Ronnie told him to do it. James Franklin told him to do it. They wanted to save clock. They felt confident that in the next two plays they could get in the end zone. They did not. I just, Matt, to me, that is just one of those sequences. And boy, there have been a lot of them over the last few years where you just say, what are you doing? Are you overthinking this? Like, I just, if you really, and I mean this, in all sincerity, if things like this continue to pop up, and they have, maybe you need someone in one of these guys or both of their ears saying, hey, take the time out, do this, do that. I mean, th- these are game management things that, to me, the spike there was, like, worse than any call that we can complain about because that's bad football. I mean, that, to me, is, like, going back to the basics here, and I, I think they just overthink some things, and... I- yeah, that I just I really took issue with that, and then you go and see how it plays out. Um, you're taking points off the board, and you're not putting your offense in the best position possible when you do that. Yeah, I think that goes back to what I said. You, you said the word overthinking, and I think that's true. It just felt like that was the whole game. They were thinking and not playing while Minnesota came out and just dictated everything on both sides of the ball. And I don't think Minnesota's defense played well in this game, but we can still say that Penn State got outplayed on both sides of the ball because Sean Clifford wasn't very accurate in this game. Um, And, you know, I think we expect this kind of inconsistency 
And but you know, inter- you can't can't throw the three interceptions a game like this. And he he threw for one more yard than Tanner Morgan, and it took twenty. It didn't feel well, like here's it. Here's <laughs> why: twenty three more attempts. Uh, Clifford was twenty three yeah. of forty three, three hundred forty yards, touchdown, three interceptions. Tanner Morgan was eighteen of twenty, three hundred thirty nine yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Sean Clifford averaged seven point nine yards per attempt, which isn't isn't a bad number actually. It's you know kind of middle of the road. Tanner Morgan averaged seventeen yards per attempt with those big plays, and. There you go. I mean, it's it was a lot of things on offense. It just, you know, Clifford was off clearly, uh, and you know, another thing we should get to is there you go. KJ Hamler shows up, yeah, like he always does. Seven catches, 119 yards. Pat Frymuth shows up like he always does. Seven catches, 101 yards. And you could argue we can get to this later. Uh, could have got some more targets too because Minnesota couldn't stop him. But then beyond that, John mm-hmm. Dotson did make a couple plays and could have made a bigger one, but still made a couple plays. But then beyond that, uh, Matt, this, I mean, it was, and maybe now, you know, everybody says, well, why aren't they using Justin Shorter? Why aren't they using Justin Shorter? This was a game to forget uh, for Shorter. Two drops, one of which was in the end zone. Now, Penn State did get a touchdown on that that sequence. So we don't, you know, you don't have to be overly critical of that, even though a drop in the end zone definitely should not happen. But you look at the depth of the receiving core, and it's something that I wrote about during camp. We wrote about it in the spring. It's why they were so excited that grad transfer Weston Carr could come in here, add some more depth. They felt Mac Hippenhammer with another year of experience was going to help out. They felt Shorter was ready to take on that next step. They really liked Daniel George. Well, you look at Shorter, George, and Dan Chisina. In this game, they combined for two catches for 28 yards, zero touchdowns, and that was on 10 targets per our friends at Sports Info Solutions. Those three players also dropped at least three passes. Shorter dropped one on the first play from scrimmage. He had another later in the game in the end zone. Daniel George dropped one across the middle on third down in the second quarter. And Chisina had a deep ball hit off his face mask with 5.51 left in the game. Now that's the second time in as many weeks that Chisina has had a step on a shot play and they haven't been able to connect on that. The defensive back was right there. Hits off his face mask. Um, Weston Carr made the trip, but did not get in the game. So he's been a non-factor this year. They need more playmakers, Matt. And that's, I mean, every team can say it. Every team wants to have it. But you've got two legitimate stars in K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth. And then you have everybody else. And yes, Dotson did make the big plays at the end. Um, but everybody else is just bunched up underneath. I mean, Nick Bowers got the touchdown. They're running more two tight end stuff, which they love to do. Which they want to continue right now, to do he's that. He's been a bright spot. He's been a pleasant surprise this year. Right. But, and it makes sense because you say, okay, like take one of these receivers off the field and keep, you know, keep fire roof, keep KJ on, run two tight ends because that looks to be your most effective personnel grouping right now. Um, and that's not what I would have expected over the summer and, and throughout camp. But the drop passes, I mean, it's all those things, Matt, they add up. And, you know, K.J. Hamler was really critical of himself afterward, uh, extremely subdued. He said that on the play in which, I mean, it looked to me like he was interfered with, I think you agree with me, on the Winfield Jr. second pick, Hamler said, bottom line. He was line, basically tackled. <laughs> yeah, he's like, bottom line, I got to make a better play on the ball. You know, I should treat that as a 50-50 ball. And I pointed out earlier uh, the protection from Slade who got blown up there wasn't wasn't great either. So you have that, but the shorter play on the first pick of the game, 
that's one of those, you know, jump balls, and that's where your big-bodied receiver, now, yes, it was underthrown, but that's where you're hoping that they can kind of wrestle away some of these 50-50 balls, and it just didn't happen in this one. And, Matt, now can we get to the where was Pat Fryermuth on the critical sequence down around the goal line portion of the show? Is it time? Crushing it at work, laser-focused on beating that boss level, that doesn't mean you shouldn't eat. DoorDash can help you get your next meal from your favorite restaurants in minutes. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code STATE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code STATE. Don't forget, that's promo code STATE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Yes, we can. Early in the fourth quarter, uh, Penn State is trying to make this comeback and and they're down 31-19. And they drive. Nice drive. They're, you know, Clifford got things going in the second half, made some nice plays uh, to his credit. And they get what? First, they get a 14-yard pass to Fryermuth down to the nine-yard line, 12 minutes left in the game. And take it away from there, Audrey. <laughs> okay, so here here's the thing. It, it was pretty clear early on, early, first quarter, Penn State was faced with third and six. Went to Pat Fryermuth, converted it. Here turns out Minnesota called a timeout. Penn State goes back. Boom, again, off a of third and six. They find Fryermuth again. They converted. Okay. Then, fourth and four later in the game, who does Sean Clifford go to? Again, Pat Fryermuth. With two defenders on him, they kept that field goal drive alive ahead of the half. During that same drive, Fryermuth caught another ball on third and five. Again, Matt, these are key moments. Your quarterback's going to one guy in these key moments. Pretty important. Then you had the third and 15 play in the fourth quarter when Penn State's down 31-19, 4.59 left in the game. Ah, sounds like a good time to use Pat Frymuth. They did. Picked up the first down. So then you get down to the red zone with this guy, who we all seem to think of him as Baby Gronk, matchup nightmare, athletic freak, guy who can go up, make plays, has done it time and time again. You see Journey Brown tap on his helmet during this sequence, which I wasn't able to catch live, but on the replay I did. So Journey Brown, who had a himself a really nice, very effective game. Brown takes himself out. So Devin Ford comes in. Penn State coaching staff puts him in there. That's Ford's first action of the game uh, as a running back. He wasn't on special teams. So Ford's in there. And then Penn State just decides that, hey, you know what, let's try to run the ball with Devin Ford. Let's try to throw a fade to K.J. Hamler, who's 5'9". Um, on a defensive back, it was like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, well, not three. only that. Not only that, if I can... Go go right ahead, Matt, because we still can't wrap our head around this. First down was Devin Ford up from the nine-yard line, two yards. Mm-hmm. Devin Ford, then three yards. Then Sean Clifford ran for a loss of one. So, first of all, that drive, Sean Clifford had been three of three passing, 17-yard, 19-yard, 14-yard completions. One run, okay. But then another run, and then a quarterback run, which I feel like was kind of predictable because they do that a lot. Yeah. And then getting the ball to K.J. Hemler, sure. But you're down at the five-yard line, and Hemler was lined up in the slot and ran kind of like a corner route, but the way it ended up playing out, it just felt like yeah. a fade because because he was it was lobbed into the end zone into a tight corner. And you have 
a five foot nine receiver who was one of the best players in the country. KJ Hamler is a phenomenal player. That on and you running a quarter round with him is often going to get open. But Minnesota had it played, and it's in this very, very confined space. That is not where KJ Hamler is best used in a confined mm-hmm. space in the corner of the end zone against a taller player. And so not only is that play questionable, I think fades in those situations are always questionable because it's a it's one thing if you have a six foot three or whatever receiver, which Penn State does have a couple of those. But they were not uh, making the play. So I I get why you go to Hamler. But fourth but down, low percentage play. throw. And But, Matt, you saw so much of the two tight end stuff that they had success with. I'm thinking, okay, you know, they're going to go two tight end again, either Fryermuth or Bowers. One of those guys is getting the ball, and then they come up with that. And it's it's a head-scratcher. And, you know, it. I, I'm okay. when it was playing out at the time being, I was okay with them going for it there. Now, hindsight, we can say, oh, yeah, they should have taken the points. Uh, plays out differently, potentially, if they do. And you couple that with the two-point conversion earlier, which that decision right away I did not like. But, uh, Matt, you've you've got – and we've seen this before, though, with them and Pat Fryermuth and, like, he'll be torching people, and then there'll be these long stretches where they don't go to him. But when you had so many of these key moments, these big third-down conversions, the fourth-down conversion – he was your guy, and then you come out with that. I, I just I couldn't wrap my head around it. Uh, a few days later, still would kind of like to know what their thought process, not kind of want to know what their thought process was uh, on that drive because it, and I guess too, Matt, I mean, Brown took himself out. I don't think he was banged up because he did meet with reporters afterwards so I'm assuming like he was okay just needed a breather but could you have put Journey Brown back in Um, Ford catapulted over Slade there on that series so the running back usage was kind of weird because you've had a back who yes he's been in the flow of the game on special teams but he hadn't had a carry to that point so you've got a guy who's not completely cold coming off the bench but kind of um, and that's how this thing plays out but again they like their personnel they like what they have, I just wasn't wasn't a big fan of the call there. Uh, but and clearly, a lot of people weren't. We're not alone. Yeah, uh, I think we could. Well, we could. <laughs> I think nitpick a lot of calls in red zone situations and stuff. And it's just, I, I think we can move into some of the big picture, like what this means too. It's almost like, I don't know. It, this is also easy to say in hindsight, and we mm-hmm. were we both did not predict this. Maybe we should have seen this coming. Um, I didn't perceive this many mistakes and all that, but did we, I've, I've ranked Penn state number five last week. Playoff committee ranked the fourth based on resume. They deserved it. They've been very good this year. They've been better than expected. They deserved it. Did we really think they were a top four team? I don't know. I I don't know if we did. I think the defense certainly, the the defense did not play up to expectations. There's no doubt about that. And that was disappointing for Penn State because the offense then did at least get its act together in the second half. And they, they they had plays they should have made. They didn't. But we did know there would be growing pains on offense this year. And we saw them. We saw inconsistent quarterback play, inconsistent receiver play. Um, although, again, shout out Journey Brown, who had a great game with Noah Kane out. We haven't really talked about that. But Journey Brown played a fantastic game. That but, he did. That he did. You know, was this a Penn State team that was going to go through this season – 
and not kind of lay an egg against a motivated team that was well coached that came out with a great game plan. On second thought, probably not. I mean, I picked um, them thought, to lose to Michigan State, Matt. I there just you go. thought you, that there were a week early. These, <laughs> yeah, I, I missed it by a week, but especially too coming off of a bye week. That's the other thing true, that true. really got me with this was you had two weeks. You know, yes, they expected that Minnesota would run the ball more, but James Franklin said last Tuesday that these were the best receivers that they had faced this season. This was the best Correct. offensive line they had faced <laughs> this season. So you you knew what was coming. Um, the fact that you couldn't make the plays, not even consistently, I mean, they just didn't make many of them at all. It's perplexing when you look at the bigger picture of this and how does this defense regroup? Because I asked PJ yeah. Mustafer afterward, I said, PJ, well, are you kind of concerned? Because whenever teams lose a game like this or they really get exploited in one area, that kind of the blueprint is now out there for you, you know, to beat you guys, to beat this defense. It's it's the quick releases. It's, you know, the, those short RPOs, that kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, like, we know other teams are going to try that. We got to get it cleaned up. And I said, can you get it cleaned up in a week? And he said, yeah, I, I think so. Well, they're going to have to find out because, again, I mean, Indiana, you can't simply walk over. I know Penn State did open as a, as a big favorite there, but. But. <laughs> ranked for the first time since 1994. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've now, you've got a bounce back game and Penn State has not been particularly great with bounce back games the last few years, a la Michigan State. So you have to keep that in mind. In a sandwich game between these two big road games that everybody was, you know, anticipating. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the the classic trap game coming up. Yeah, and we thought Minnesota was the trap. Turns out Indiana is. <laughs> yeah, and you just you look at it, though, Matt, and the way they were exploited as a defense. Now, had this been a game that, you know, Penn State had some really good defensive stands and hung in there, then I would say, oh, you know what, maybe going into Columbus, maybe it won't be that bad. But when you got exposed like this... That's hard to dismiss some of those flaws. And, you know, safety play was something that was a question coming into the season. We saw that exposed, you know. I just, the pass rush had been inconsistent at times up to this point. The RPOs and the quick releases kind of nullified that, one of their strengths. We got to see where this thing goes, Matt. But what happens, I guess, with this offense? I'm curious. I don't know the answer to it. What happens when Noah Kane comes back healthy? How do you, I mean, because Journey Brown looked great. He's looked great at, at points earlier this year as well. It's pretty clear who their two best backs are right now, I would say. Well, Matt, I, can we ever say that here? I don't know. I mean, I, mean I think it's. We can. We can, but can we ever <laughs> say that? They know that, right? I mean, you look at that. These are your two best backs. The lack of a rotation in this game told me a couple things. One, they went into that game knowing that Noah Kane was certainly very limited and wasn't going to play. I asked Journey Brown when he knew he was going to start. He said he knew he was going to start all week. So Kane did warm up. Uh, he did more so individual drills and warm ups, but I was down on the field and watching him. As soon as they went to run pass patterns, he was walking around. He was stretching. He didn't do, uh, didn't catch any passes. Then they were doing some other drills, and he was overriding the bike. So he tried to give it a go, but clearly. You know, maybe there was a setback or something in the week uh, that made him not available. Even so, if they have him, Journey Brown played well enough. I'm not saying that would have changed the outcome of the game. 
But then you've got Journey Brown in there. He's, he's doing a really nice job. But how do you then get to this this rotation where you're only going to rely on these two guys or primarily on these two because they weren't willing to sacrifice series against Minnesota. I mean, we saw Brown come out the first four series, which we had not seen a Penn State back definitely surprising. get that this year. You know, it was like four straight series journey. You're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy. And then Slade came in to help pass protect on the, the Winfield junior pick. And then the two-point conversion, they put Ricky Slade in. And I asked Journey Brown, I said, I'm curious, you know, can all of you guys run that play? Do all of you run that play? Um, And he said, yeah, we we all can run that play, but they put Ricky in. You know, probably a little too much nitpicking with that, Matt, in terms of the two-point conversion chasing points. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things. People can look at the replay, say if – Slade cuts inside. Maybe he, he gets would have had in a better there. chance than that. I mean, they had it set up. You had the two blockers out there in the tight ends, um, and you had Slade behind him. I mean, you had the look that you wanted. But again, it was just that kind of game for Penn State, where every yeah. little thing that seemingly could go wrong went wrong. Uh, I mean, you had uh, Isaac Lutz running into to KJ Hamler on the one punt return that could have been disastrous and ended this thing. Uh, way sooner than it did. But there's a lot to learn from this one if you're Penn State. Well, okay, so here's going to be my attempt to put some kind of positive spin on this. Oh, boy. Or at, put, or at least to put it in perspective. Good teams lose to bad teams. It happens all the time. Georgia lost to South Carolina this year. South Carolina is not going to go to a bowl game. Georgia's, you know, in the top five. Uh, you know, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State, who's not a bad team, but, you know, not, you know, a top 10. Not team. an elite team. Ohio State the last two years. 2017, they lose 55 to 24 at Iowa. 2018, they had one loss. They lost 49 to 20 at Purdue. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Alabama, who even though they lost this week, they don't really lose to bad teams ever. You know, Clemson, when they won the national championship, they lost to Pitt that year. Uh, so this happens. Going undefeated is really, 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 really hard. Nick Saban's only done it once at Alabama despite all the national championships, they've only been undefeated once. And even if you, they say they're going to lose to Ohio State, which they probably will, going 10-1 and one the rest of the way, or 11-0 and 0 the rest of the way, is very, very hard. Especially for, again, what we talked about this team, what the team would be going into the year, which is a team with questions on offense, growing pains, probably higher expectations in 2020. And you kind of mentioned it, everything that could go wrong pretty much did and Penn State lost to an undefeated team on the road by five points and had opportunities to win this game. So that all adds up to a very frustrating experience because I think maybe people didn't think Minnesota was as good as its record. And honestly, it probably still isn't because, again, Penn State had chances to win this game with three yep. turnovers and just numerous miscues and, you know, interceptions that – two interceptions that could have been pass interference and an OPI that might not have been pass interference. So everything went against Penn State and – if that OPI isn't called, they probably win the game. They're facing third and two or whatever, third and goal. Or at we would have been able to see a fade. Been. Who knows? Maybe. Well, yeah, we shouldn't <laughs> take it for granted. So I think that perspective is needed that, you know, one loss is not the end of the world. You know, this wasn't a team we expected to win the national championship. If they win this game, I don't think they're winning the national championship. I don't think they're winning yeah. in Columbus. It's I mean, disappointing to not go to the Rose Bowl, which I think would have happened if they win this game. And they're probably not. Now we're talking Cotton Bowl or Orange Bowl or maybe even – uh, a non-New Year six. 
So it's all disappointing. And there were so many things that you can nitpick. And if they did this thing right, they win the game. And in that way, it felt to me like the Michigan State game last year. It's like there were 50 things you could have done. And you do two things differently, you win the game. And even though they got so badly outplayed in the first half of this one, it was still true. Missed throws, interceptions, whatever. There were just so many plays that could have swung the game differently, especially the OPI or, or Dotson slipping up. So the world they didn't isn't quit, over. Matt. They didn't quit. They did not and, and quit. That, that is a great point, too. That is really important. I mean, it would have been easy for them, too. I mean, it was, you know, you're pretty much getting it handed to you, left and right. Um, you're not making the plays. You're dropping passes. I mean, you could see some of these guys were visibly frustrated as the game is unfolding. Um, I watched, I zoomed in with my binoculars on Brent Pry after the one touchdown. And he's, you know, standing there, arms crossed, just looking at the video board, kind of like, what in the world, you know? The fact that they were able to come together and mount a really good attempt at a comeback, the fact that Sean Clifford was cramping up, storms out of the tent, and, yep. you know, says, I'm going back in the game. Those guys legitimately thought they were going to win the game. And that's a credit to what they've done in those previous eight games, right? They're still a confident group. The question now becomes, what do you learn from this? And as James Franklin mentioned, you know, have that feeling, that disappointment, that upset, but use it as fuel. And how do they do that? This is a team that because there's always so much transition year to year, Sean Clifford said, like, I really am not sure how I'm going to deal with this because I haven't dealt with a loss yet. That's true for a lot of these guys. They haven't been through it before. So how quickly do you kind of take the lessons learned from this and flush it and move on is really, really important. And then you've got the noon kick with Indiana. You know, you got to rebound from that. And Penn State hasn't had any really significant injuries this year that have impacted anything. So that's been a plus for them too, which is part of the reason why I think you look at this belief and the fact that they think they can play with anybody. Because you look at the way that the offense stormed back, Matt, after pretty much looked like being left for dead. Yeah. That's tough to dismiss. And when people want to say, oh, Sean Clifford, I've got some of this on Twitter, of course. Oh, he shouldn't be the quarterback. What have you been watching? <laughs> like, who do you want? made some mistakes, but... Like, okay, I get it. You all, like, would have loved you have Justin Fields. But look around you. So would everyone else in the country. Like, Sean Clifford, despite underthrowing some of those balls, he did make one really, really nice uh, throw to Fryermuth as he was on the move. He's your guy. He's been your guy 100%. since you recruited him. He's playing insanely well for a first-year starter. This guy is only going to continue getting better. And the fact that he is the leader on this offense, teammates respond to him. You've got key pieces moving forward. And yes, don't by any means wish away the rest of the 2019 season because there's still a lot a lot left to play, a lot left to play for, of course. But you've got the pieces there, potentially, for 2020 to, to be that year that we think it is. And... Who knows, Matt? You know, so much can change from one season to the next, but when you see those spurts where the offense is clicking like they were to to stage that comeback, it really, I think, is a sign of what's to come, but I totally understand the frustration of where in the world was that during the first half. 
That's exactly true. There were so many problems and all that. It's a frustrating loss because you know they could have won the game. Uh, and and hey, we, it was like deja vu again. Twenty years ago, Penn State was undefeated, trying to win a national championship, loses to Minnesota. You know, this was, but this is a good Minnesota team. So I, I said it yeah. before: good teams lose to bad teams. Penn State lost to a good team on the road by five, and and man, it's frustrating. Some but, big trolling from the Gophers. As it was very oh, yeah. well played <laughs> after the game, their their fans. I mean, you could see them after the the fourth down, uh, the or I'm sorry, after the interception that ended the game. I mean, their fans were starting to really bunch down like they were ready to start climbing over the railings and that sort of thing. And so the media doesn't get any field access there at the end of the game. Like typically we get the last five minutes to be on the field at, at venues. So I'm like starting my way down to the media room and you just see everybody rushing on the field. So of course, during these instances, Matt, we've got bigger fish to fry. So I just kind of walk out through the tunnel to take a look at the imagery and what's going on. And they're playing Prince's 1999. I get it. Oof. Minnesota, they love Prince. <laughs> but man, you're going right at 99. And I must have missed when I was in the elevator. Apparently, they also played the Lion Sleeps tonight. Uh, so some nice, well-played trolling on behalf of the Gophers. Man, they celebrated like crazy with the governor's victory bell. There you go. And... <laughs> Easy to, easy to lift up than the, than the land grant trophy. Yeah, you know, they were really like, that <laughs> thing was, was making its way around the field. Um, but, Matt, it, this one hurt for Penn State. I mean, there's no doubt about yeah, it. These no guys, doubt. and I understand fans want to criticize. Our job is to objectively report on this team, and so we do. But the no one takes these losses harder than the people whose lives, whose days, whose weeks, months, years, paychecks, scholarship stipends uh, are surrounded by this team. I mean, those guys were hurting after it. I mean, it was, um, I mean, some guys holding back tears. K.J. Hamler, always bubbly, personable, extremely subdued. Uh, Sean Clifford, you know, usually elaborates a lot on his answers, very subdued, said all he wanted to do was get out of there and watch the film. I mean, this I get it. Fans have every right to be upset, um, but don't lose sight of the fact that the people who put even more into this uh, spend an insanely long amount of time on it. Um, they they are feeling pretty bad about it as well. Well, all hope is not lost, as we said. That's right. Everything Thursday has to be an uplifting to... show for us. There we Matt. go. Well, everything is still to play for. Penn State, you know, can technically still beat Ohio State and, and win the Big Ten. Well, and maybe get a rematch with Minnesota. Uh, so everything is still there. It's just the, the, obviously the, uh, floor for the ceiling has now been lowered, but still there's an opportunity. Even if they lose to Ohio state, they're going to win 10, maybe even 11 with the bowl game. And that'd be still be a, a good season. Ultimately, I think this season will look, we'll look back upon positively, uh, for as many mistakes as there were to, to kind of pour over, which we just did for half hour, 40 minutes. Uh, but that's that. Penn State loses its first game of the season. Uh, we will be. This is our free podcast to all, so we thank everybody for listening. Uh, and please subscribe to the Athletic. Read Audrey's wonderful coverage from the game from Minneapolis. And uh, we will be back on Thursday to preview an unusual matchup. Ranked Indiana in the AP poll is coming to Penn State, and it is a little bit bigger game than expected because we'll see. As we talked about, it's okay. How do you respond? So. 
Audrey, we will try to respond positively this week in our jobs. We'll see if Penn State can do it against I'm Indiana. Still trying week. to go one and zero this week in my job, Matt. Exactly Always right. the goal. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to to list for listening to Dear Old State. We will be back Thursday for Athletic subscribers on the Athletic app.